Welcome to You're Still Doing That, where we talk to everyday people about their childhood joys that have endured into adulthood. Uh, and joining us today is Ashton Rodenizer. Uh, nice to meet you, Ashton. So, what is your childhood passion that you still do today? Uh, I still do a lot of drawing, and I do drawing and doodling as a profession now. All right, let's hear your story. Welcome to You're Still Doing That, where we talk to everyday people about the things they did as a kid. They still do today. And we've got Ashton with us talking about her passion for drawing and doodling. So Ashton, uh, first off, tell us, uh, where do you live and what is your job? I live in rural Nova Scotia, Canada, Eastern Canada, if you're not familiar. And I am a live illustrator or a professional doodler. Oh, I, professional doodler. I, I, I always giggle. I was like, I know that's a thing, but it's fun. It's always great when people are can make a living at the things that they enjoy doing. Uh, yeah. So did you doodle a lot when you were a kid? I definitely doodled a whole lot. You know, I was definitely that kid in class that was making like little planets around the holes of the loose leaf. I think yeah. that was always my go-to. And we used to draw like a lot of like, little swirls and turn them into snails. And I definitely doodled a, a lot in my notebook as a kid. That's for sure. Did you take a lot of art classes when you were younger? It's a great question. So I did not take a lot of art classes. Um, I've always just sort of kind of beat to my own drum, I think. Yeah. Uh, I have tried it name an art style or medium and I probably tried it. Yeah. I'm more of a dabbler I'm kind of a bit of a Jill of all trades yeah. when it comes to all things art. I like trying out different things, but uh, there's only been a few that I've really kind of stuck with and really learned. Um, taken music lessons, definitely yeah. a lot of mu music classes and things, but not a lot of formal quote unquote art classes. Right. So um, art wasn't your thing when you were in college then? No, I would have loved to go to to art college. I I think I would have had a good time, but at I really kind of believed the whole you can't make money as an artist. So yep, that's what everybody and, says. And I really felt like, you know, my friends and and colleagues and people I work with kind of always joke about me because I'm in this like weird sliding scale all the time. I'm like super artist and then like super business person. So I've always yeah. had like this weird, like very creative, a very analytical mind at the same time. I'm like kind of in both worlds. It's very strange. And I knew that if I was going to go to college or do some sort of post-secondary education, I wanted to make sure I had a good job or a right. job at the end of it. And I was really stumped. I was really stumped in high school. What the heck am I going to do? And I knew I wasn't sciencey. I definitely knew that. So uh, in grade 12, I ended up dropping out of all my science classes because I had all the credits that I needed. Yeah. Um, and I knew I was never going to pursue anything sciencey related, um, but I still was really stumped. And I felt like I just wanted to help people, but I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that meant. And at the time I felt 
my only option to help people was to be like a doctor or something. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that's not in the cards for me. And, and right. I'm not super squeamish, but like, I'm not going to be a nurse. Like, that's just not, not in the cards. Like, yeah. not sciencey and all, like, no, no, thank you. So, in grade 12, I really struggled because I just wanted to be a mom. That's what people would ask me, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just going to be a mom. And that wasn't highly looked at. at <laughs> people right? are like, what? You don't want to like go have a job and be in the world? And I'm like, being a mom would be pretty great. I think that's yeah. a pretty great job. Like, I would love to do that. Like, if I like, I think I actually would have been very happy as a teenage mom. Like, if I got pregnant, eh. at, I actually would have had a good time. Like, it would have been a good, good time for me. All right, I'm not going to let my daughters listen to this podcast. Because <laughs> um, it was really the only thing that I was really passionate about. Um, right. I had always worked with kids. Kids was all I ever knew. I worked at camps. Um, then when I was 19, I got hired as a day camp director and they didn't realize how young I was because I had so much experience working with children. So that was the, that was the formal education path that I chose. Cause I figured, well, I'll work with little kids and families and things until I have my own. And then I probably won't do that anymore. And that's exactly what I did. So the first few years of my working career, I worked at a family center and while I was working there, I learned about community development and I learned about facilitation and I started yeah. doing facilitation work and realized I loved that world. Because at one point I thought maybe I wanted to be a teacher, but facilitation is awesome because you can help a group move through their own thinking and, and kind of come to the other side of it. And I love that instead of teaching, because with teaching, you are like, you're holding all the information yeah. and then you're saying, this is what you need to know. And here's what, here's the information. But as a facilitator, you need to know how to listen to people and how to think and make sense of what you're hearing and feedback what yeah. you're hearing in a group. And it's not about what you know, it's about holding them through a process and making sure they feel heard and valued. Um, but not about knowing all of the information. And I really, really fell in love with that world. Um, and then after doing that for a little while, I moved back home. So I left that job and I didn't really know what I was going to do. And a facilitator friend of mine told me about a one-day workshop that was coming up on graphic facilitation. And I was like, that sounds yeah. interesting. I love facilitation and I've always been very creative. And uh, as cliche as it sounds, I took that one day workshop and I was like, this is it. This yeah. is, this is it. It felt like it was a two, my two worlds coming together, right? My love for all things creative and that, that little part of me that always wished I was an artist yeah. and, and the world of helping people move through their own thoughts, you know? So I guess I ended up checking that box of like, just wanting to help people, <laughs> Um, right. Definitely in a way that I would have never, never thought of um, at the time. And yeah, it just was this beautiful coming together of those two worlds. And um, that was back in, in late 2013 and dabbled with, with this sort of idea of like, how can I draw out people's thoughts and conversations? And, and after doing that and having a couple kids, I decided um, a few years into it that I was going to take it more seriously. And pursue it as uh, as a full on career, um, and 
because people aren't just like hiring people to come and doodle a meeting. Right. Like, like no one's like, there's no job postings for this no, there job, isn't. right? So you're pretty much by default have to start a business. Yeah. So um, I had gone to a conference in Austin, Texas in 2015 for people all around the world who do this type of work and sat in in some business workshops of people who were doing it. Like they're graphic recorders, graphic facilitators, doodlers, and they're, they created their own businesses. So I, I soaked up all of that learning and came back. Um, and I was pregnant with my second child at the time. And after I had him... I was like, okay, I'm really going to to do this properly. And when I decide to do something, I give it absolutely yeah. everything that I have. So, um, yeah, and that's kind of where we are today all these years later. So uh, explain to, to folks what a, a graphic illustrator or a graphic recorder is. Yeah, so... Uh, Sometimes I'll say to people like, you know, those meetings that you go to and they're like super boring. Yeah. yeah I try to make them less boring <laughs> at a very high level. So, you know, think about if you're at a conference or a meeting or some sort of strategy session and people are having conversations or you're listening to a presentation. While those things are happening, I am listening to it just like you. I am thinking about what I'm hearing just like you. And I am capturing what I am making sense of. So I'm doing that with a combination of not just words, but with illustrations, drawings, doodles. So at the end of that day or that 60-minute presentation or whatever it is, there's a visual representation of that information. Um, you know, so there's the key ideas, the key thoughts the main messages or whatever it is, um, and then combined and interwoven with an illustrative sort of vibe. Yeah. Right. So, but it's not like you're just drawing pictures on a piece of paper. Uh, these things, you've got this huge giant like panel, whiteboard panel that's that's like two easels big. It's really big. So everybody can see you illustrating as long while they are listening to the presentation at the same time. Right. So before there's like my before and after COVID story, yeah. just like everybody else, I think. Right. So before COVID, I was actually a hundred percent in person. So I would travel all through Canada, US and into Europe a bit. And with my big giant roll of paper, my big boards um, and capture in, in a room, whether it's a big conference center or a small boardroom. And draw out the conversations on large pieces of paper. So oftentimes one board would be like four feet wide by eight feet long. And I might create several or several of those in a day. So I've got my big, you know, fancy, big, large yeah. markers and capturing. And then that way, because it's so large and life-size, people can really see it come to life. As soon, you know, if you're in a room, you can see it from where you're sitting. So and, the way that I, I always see it is yeah, and I was always thinking, what a way to grab people's attention. I mean, if you've got your presenter that's that's going on about the topic, you're going to have folks in your meeting that they're going to look at their phone or they're going to get bored or they're like, man, well, I'm in another one of these things today. Uh, but but watching someone like you draw out and illustrate the same thing, I thought, I was just thinking, what a great idea that is to capture everybody's attention and to get them to focus on what you really want them to focus on. I just think it, I think it's the neatest thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and then in the kind of post COVID world, I've 
really been working more digital. So, you know, when I'm on a Zoom call, instead of seeing my face there, you would actually see my drawing screen. So a different type of engagement, right. you know, not as large and a charge when we're in person, but still very um, captivating. And for me, it's it's less about like my own ego or what it is that I'm doing. It's really, I'm really there to help elevate the ideas that flow out of the meeting and to build clarity and not just that, but from like an accessibility perspective. So we expect so much from people, you know, hey, sit on the Zoom call for eight hours and listen to 10 right. presentations, which is yeah. what I did yesterday. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have to do it again today, another eight hours, nine presentations. It's a lot for people to to take in whether or not you're neuro, neurodivergent or not, no matter how you learn. It's a big ask yes, it um, is. To, to ask of people to sit there and take in this information. So if you want to make sure that people still get the information, then it's a it's not just a nice but a beautiful way to be able to capture it and have the engagement in the moment and then be able to have it for people after as well to to reflect on and you know we live in such an instant gratification world yep. too. I think it also kind of is good for that because Yes it is. Instead of just like filtering through a whole bunch of your notes that you're you know you wrote down so fast you can't even read your own handwriting. Um, you have a visual representation that you can look at and within 30 seconds or less then you can go, okay, these were the main points. Got it. Got it. Good. And then it can help you remember it, not just like in the moment, but like for months or years later. And then also you have a higher chance of actually doing something with that information. So I think about all the times, like we spend all this time digesting information, digest, digest at a conference or in a podcast or something like we're always digesting information, but what's the likelihood that you're going to do something with that information, right? And I see my work and creating these graphics and these drawings as like a conduit for now you can take this information and do something with it, which is what I would think like every speaker hopes is going to happen. It's like, why are you standing on that stage is because you have wisdom to share and you want something to someone to do something with that information. But if they can't remember it, yeah, you know, or they can't sit there or whatever, like the chance of them actually doing something with that information is just so much more low. Right. Yeah. Your work That's my is soapbox for the day. That's yeah. my soapbox. <laughs> and, but in your work, um, it seems like people will comprehend and, the retention level will just be off the charts um, if they can focus, especially the virtual uh, meetings. And I, uh, I don't know, everybody's gone to these virtual meetings now and half the people probably zone out right away. They turn their camera off, they turn their mic off and who knows what they're doing, why somebody's talking about the topic. But if they've got a virtual uh, uh, or, or if they got a graphic recorder there at the same time, Talk about a way to keep people dialed in and uh, and on task and on attention. So I love it. Um, I think it's really great. Yeah. And I also think from a perspective of clarity, like sometimes I will capture something and it gives people a very specific thing to look at and say, what is it that we're talking about? So people will come up to me and be like, oh, that's not actually what we said. Be like, oh, okay, then I can fix that. I can change that. But 
You know, there's we don't have always a conduit for for people to have that immediate feedback. And sometimes you don't even know what the main ideas that are flowing out of a meeting or something are until you see them all grouped together. Right. Yeah. It becomes very apparent that this group is very passionate about this one particular issue because you talked about it for an hour out of the three hour meeting, but you might not have necessarily made that connection after or even in the moment, right? Where, but if yeah. you can see like everything was about solar instead of wind energy, be like, oh, well, everyone seems to be going in this direction because it's very clear and right there in front of our eyes, right? So it allows to, have and navigate that conversation in the in the moment as well as after too. So like I certainly have people come up to me or shout out in during a meeting because I want it to be interactive. Um, yeah. you know when it's not a conference, obviously, but you know, when people can come up and or shout out in the middle of meeting like, oh, you know, this is this is that or this is that. And I had a situation back in the spring that was like this like weird, beautiful thing that happened where someone came up to me and they said, oh, this someone said this thing and I really want to make sure we capture it. And as she said it, I was finishing writing what she had just said. So I had heard what I felt like was a really main point and I was capturing it, just finishing it up. And then when she came up and re- she like reaffirmed it for me, which I thought was like a beautiful um thing that happened like just right in the moment because it made me go yeah I heard what I felt like it was a main thing and she came up and reaffirmed that for me so yeah it was a beautiful when things like that happen it's just like so right yeah do the companies give you like their notes ahead of time before the meetings so you sort of have an idea of what you'll be doodling out or do you just do it right on the fly yeah so great question so I prefer to work on the fly there is an element of risk because yeah. maybe the speakers aren't polished. Maybe it's their first time and they're nervous and they're all over the place. Um, you know, a, a conference meeting versus, a, you know, a brainstorming or strategic planning like, is totally different because um, in st- strategic planning, for example, like you don't know where the conversation's going anyways. Like you might have like, oh, this is where we're trying to get to, but like you have no idea. Um, but for conferences and things like that, I have absolutely no idea what people are going to talk about. Um, You know, there's like the theme, like, so the one I'm doing yesterday and today is like cybersecurity, you know, and I've done a lot of cybersecurity, so I feel pretty prepped and ready to go. But if it's a topic that I'm not familiar with, then um, sometimes I'll just ask the client, like, give me some articles to read or send me some YouTube videos just to sort of like get me um, prepared, but I don't actually want to know the content of what a speaker is going to say. I don't really want slide decks because then I'm thinking about, instead of being really present and in the moment and listening to what they're saying, I'm thinking about what I think is coming up or what I think they are saying. So the only time that maybe it's like helpful is if I know they're going to use like a diagram or something that yeah. I might want to like recreate on the fly that's like a little complex. But other than that, I really want to make sure that I'm present and hearing it um, and being fully in the moment and not worrying and thinking about what is coming up. So sometimes clients will prep me like, oh, these are the topics that we're going to talk about, like if it's a panel session, for example. Yeah. So, you know, I can think of like some imagery that I might want to um, or do some research on some things that maybe I've never drawn before. Like that's always helpful, but I really like being in the moment and just sort of capturing it 
Um, because like getting slide decks ahead of time isn't like actually if you do a slide deck properly, I shouldn't really know what you're talking about in my opinion, you know, because if you've got too many words on a slide deck, then that's not helpful to the audience and it's not helpful to me, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, you've got to have a lot of, uh, pictures in your doodling bag to be able to sketch out if you're not really knowing what's, uh, uh, what's coming up because you never know what people are going to say or whatever metaphors they're going to use to describe their topic or to draw people in. You've got to be pretty well versed, I would think. Yeah, I definitely kind of refer to it as like a visual language or visual vocabulary. So it's not straight interpreting like you think of a language interpreter, like a spoken or yeah. an ASL interpreter. It's not like the same in that sense because you have to you're not just listening and then writing exactly what they're saying, which is like what a lot of traditional note taking is like. Cause I definitely like the, the important part in there is the making sense and trying to make those connections in your mind before capturing them. But a lot of times I'm using really basic drawing elements. Like I'm certainly adding in drawings and doodles and things too, but like when I teach it, this skill to others who want to do their own visual note taking, like, we start as something as basic as a line and then a square and then a circle, you know, and how yeah. you can use really basic shapes to help connect information on a page, to separate information, to highlight information, to elevate information, right? So content is always going to be king. Like it's still always going to have lots of words. Like that's pretty important to actually have the information (laughs) on it. Um, But how you can really use like some simple drawing elements that everybody can either already know how to or can learn very quickly, like lines and boxes and squares and circles and things like that uh, to help infuse some more visuals into note taking. And there certainly is like an element where you have to like let go of capturing everything. You know, we traditionally, when we note take, we just try to capture everything and you have to trust your brain a little bit more with this type of capturing, um, that your brain will remember things even if they're not specifically captured. Right. So I always like, am fascinated of what I can remember what's even not on the page because it was something that was related. So I might not remember, um, or I might not capture a whole story, but I capture the the outcome from that story right. or the moral of that story. But I don't have to capture the whole story, but I yeah. capture maybe in an image and a few words of what was the lesson from that story. But then looking at it later, I'll go, oh, right, I remember that story he told. And you not, right. might not remember all the details of the story, but there's a better likelihood that you'll actually remember some of the core ideas of that story, even just by reading the lesson from it. You don't have to, um, you have to like let go of the notion of having to capture everything and just really focus on those, those main pieces and those main points too. Now you're not just a a professional uh, graphic facilitator or recorder, but you also help people uh, to do this skill as well. You wrote a book called The Beginner's I, Guide to Sketch Noting. Right on. How did, I did. how did you get the idea to create a book about what you do? Yeah, so I I kind of always really knew once I started experiencing the power of of the pen, the power of the doodle, um I kind of always knew I wanted to make sure that I could share this, but 
last year um, or in 2022, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to actually try to put in all of these years experience into a form that people can try to learn it for themselves. And I feel like, you know, I'm not to say that I'm not special, but like, I'm not a fancy artist person. Like I'm self-taught. I really had to beef up my drawing skills when I got into doing this work. And I really truly believe that everybody can take notes in a visual way. Like if you want to have fun while taking notes, you want to help, you want to like experience all the benefits of how our brains think in pictures and, and capture in that way. Like you don't have to be an artist. You don't even know how to draw, but the way that our brains think and the way that they make connections just lends itself very beautifully to capturing in this way. And and at this point, I'm like, how do people not capture in this way? Like, I obviously drank the Kool-Aid. Like, yeah. You know, like, how how is this not an option for students? How is this not being taught? Because it is like, you know, I don't – I haven't do- like dove into a ton of the brain science, but I like know enough of the science that's out there plus my own personal stories of, of people to, to understand the power of right. – of visualizing information. So, um, so yeah, I went through a process. I did beta reading and I got feedback from people. Um, it was a beautiful, it was long, but beautiful process of putting this book together. And I felt like, um, you know, when you Google, uh, graphic recording or sketch, sketch noting is a very common term for taking your own visual notes. Um, it was Uh a term that was, you know, it's all using the very same skill set I use as a professional, but the, the term itself was coined by uh, a designer and author named Mike Rohde. So he was the one who actually created the term of it. So it is, it kind of, and that was about 10 years ago, almost, almost 11. Um, and it's really uh, kind of taken on a life of its own um, as a term. So that's why I decided to go and and named the book the beginner's guide to sketch noting but if you type in in google sketch noting or graphic recording or live illustration into google you find these really really highly illustrative beautiful drawings and i felt like there was something missing out in the world for beginners like people yeah. who don't have great handwriting who don't know how to like they can't even draw a stick person like but they want to experience the benefits of that. And I, I just felt like that was such a shame. So I really, truly wrote the book. Like I always have, like when I've been talking to people about it, the emphasis is on the beginner part of the beginner's guide to sketch noting. Cause it, you know, if you've been doing this work for a little while, like you probably already know everything in the book, or maybe you'll pick up a few little tips and tricks of things, but you know, it's truly for people, for students or folks that are attending meetings who want to, um, take their own notes in a visual way that's going to help them remember and learn and a very low barrier, non-threatening kind of way. Like yeah. don't have to know how to draw. I like, I'd literally start with how to draw a line and why you draw a line and the ways of how you can use lines on your page to help you with the information that you're capturing. Right. So yeah. Real basic stuff, um, but when it, you know, I really kind of handhold people through the whole process. So I really wanted to write it with um, quick wins. It's not a long read. It's mostly drawings. Um, 
and there's some exercises and activities and things to kind of help start to build up your muscle memory to to draw. So it's really a lot about like getting confident and comfortable with putting pen to paper and not hesitating when you go to do it. You're like, oh, I can draw a line or, oh, I can draw a little star person or box person. Yeah. Like, I know how to like, oh, I, I know I can choose my three colors ahead of time. Like just trying to build up people's confidence and some of those quick wins right in the beginning. And then the second half of the book talks more about the thinking and the making sense and some tips and tricks on how to capture quickly and how to navigate your space that you have. And um, yeah, some things like that. So it was important to me to to try to help people get some comfortability with starting to put pen to paper again if they've been away from it for a while and then get into some of the like, okay, here's some listening and thinking things. But because people, one of the first questions they people tend to ask me is like, well, how do you know what to write down? I'm like, don't even worry about that right now. Just like get, start getting comfortable with just writing and, or just drawing a few little things before even like worrying, like you're kind of like at step 10, like we need to start at step one. And, um, you know, that's why I really wanted to, to, to design it in that way and try to help people feel like they can do it, even if they don't, you know, they maybe haven't drawn for a long time or it's not something that they're super comfortable with, but want to get started. And yeah. like, I don't want people to compare my 10 years in to their beginning, right? Yeah. So um, I keep the examples of the sketch notes very minimal in the book for that reason. Like it's not full of illustrations from other artists or other um, graphic recorders because I want people to just kind of get comfortable in, with their own drawing. And then, you know, Google's only a click away if you yeah. want some inspiration, you know? Yeah. Um, that sounds great. Uh, really handy for, I think, a lot of people uh, as they're going through school or through work. I was think it's a fun little tool for them to have. Uh, so let's get to some fun little questions. Uh, I'm sure people would want to know sort of the most, the fun stuff type of stuff. Um, what is the most, um, what's the most kinds of jobs that you get? What do you normally do work for? Yeah. So I, when I started my business, I didn't really have a like ideal client in mind. Um, yeah. but I just started reaching out to a bunch of different, uh, conferences and, and companies and people and, and kind of leveraged in some of the experience that I had. And I got my first tech conference in 2017. And to be honest with you, that completely snowballed for me. Um, yeah. you know, once people see and experience your work for, for themselves, they're in the room, they see it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Now I can remember things, blah, blah, blah. It's, uh, it's just a natural progression. So yeah. I, I work a lot in tech. I work, um, a lot in cybersecurity and, uh, that makes up quite a significant portion of my, um, portfolio of work, but I'm definitely not limited to anything, which is right. very exciting because yeah. I get to work in so many different fields. Like I just got an email from someone this week that is doing like strategic planning for their massage therapy company. Like, oh, cool. You know, I've worked with schools and libraries and universities, um, uh, indigenous organizations, um, health departments. Uh, I'm just like looking at my my calendar over there. Food justice and food equity. Um, pretty much kind of any industry, to be honest with you. Yeah. Tourism. Um, so yeah, like 
it doesn't really like I don't need to have like I, I definitely have a leg up when it comes to tech and like cybersecurity and things like that because I've done you know I even I've done like certain conferences on very specific like programming languages like yeah. Python and all that right yeah. so like I've definitely been very embedded into the tech space but not limited to really any industry which is very it's very fun and very exciting yeah. because it keeps things fresh for me too and I get to learn a lot about a lot of different things for sure what uh topics do you find the hardest to illustrate um I definitely have been in a lot of situations where a developer will just put up like lines of code. That's definitely challenging. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely ch- like demonstrations or demos of code are not my friend. Those are extremely difficult to do. Um, things that are like definitely highly technical. Like I have lots of experience in it now, but it is hard. Um, I do a conference that's like RNA therapeutics. That is a tricky one. I'm not going to lie. You know, like how they take, they splice this genome and do this and that. You know, those are pretty tricky. Um, You know, like I always tend to be able to muster through and make out okay. But, you know, some of those topics are definitely challenging. When Yeah, it'd be different if maybe I was a scientist. Like I have a a friend who's like, that's her thing. She's a scientist. And then she became a graphic recorder. So like... It's perfect for her to work with a lot of those like science organizations because she was a scientist first, right? So yeah, yeah. What's uh, what are some of your favorite types of topics or work or workshops to illustrate for? Um, I really like I said earlier, like I I was learning a lot about like community development, and I I love those types of situations where you can bring a community together of like-minded people who are trying to like make change in their community or do something cool or, you know, like those are always really kind of extra fun because I love when people can get together with an idea and just see like, what can we do in our community? That would be super fun and really engaging to help lift up and elevate. And like, I live in the country. I live in just outside of a very small town of only like 8,000 people. And you know, I like it when I can get together with small groups of people um, who are really trying to like make change, like little yeah. change makers. Like they're my favorite yeah. kind of people, like <laughs> people who like are really think differently. Those are my people, you know. Right. Now, how much does your services cost? What does oh. it cost to give to get a graphic illustrator? That if, I've never if, been asked that on a podcast. If my, if my school system that that I work for, you know, <laughs> the school systems, we've got just uh, a mega amount of boring uh, uh, professional development stuff and videos to watch throughout a school year. Mm-hmm. If they were going to hire you to come in and and illustrate for a session, how much how much do services cost? Yeah, so there's a a few different price points that I sort of play around with that most people fall in. It's like an hour, a half a day, or a full day. So my current, as of middle of 2023, is uh, 2,500 US for a day worth of of my time. So that includes some of my prep work, and that includes any post work that I might have to do as well, just like finishing up graphics. I do include like audio descriptions because accessibility is extremely important to me um, and alt text descriptions and things like that. 
Um, and I provide this, documents on like how to use them after an event and things yeah. like that. So, and then kind of half day rates and an hour here and there is kind of lower than that, obviously, oh, yeah. but that's sort of where that's sort of usually like where I fall into. And then sometimes I'll have, um, a bit of a sliding scale for nonprofits and things like that. But generally right. that's where I start with, with folks. Uh, does that include yeah. like travel and expenses and things like if they want you in person? Yeah, I guess I should have clarified that. That's my digital rate. So that's for gotcha. me working from the comfort of my own home. And then um, my rates for travel, I always charge out travel and accommodations. And yeah. either they reimburse me or they book it. And uh, depending on how far I'm going, I might have to charge like for my time to travel, usually like at a half a day rate. And then- Well, yeah, if my- they tip- pull you away from other work so for travel exactly it's 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 hard you kind of have to right and then um my in-person rate i have been charging more than my home rate just because of the it takes your time yeah the nature of being away from home yeah yeah yeah. but um you know a lot of people can still we can like the one that event i'm doing it was doing yesterday and today like there's a lot of people in person, but there's lots of people online. So I get to do like, they get to experience both. So the people in person get to experience it because they project me on a giant screen in the room. Um, even though I'm home, like, you know, thousands of miles away. Uh, but then also the virtual people get to experience it as well, which is a nice bonus. So, yeah. I get, um, uh, so what's the farthest you've traveled, uh, to be for your, for your work? Um, I would say Germany, um, yeah, that's pretty I was far. In yeah, I was in Germany in 2019 and I was in Denmark in 2018 and 2019. Um, yeah, so those are the the two main places that I've been over there. Yeah. So I bet you the travel yeah. has been cut down significantly since COVID and everybody's mainstreamed uh, virtual meeting. Absolutely. Meetings. Yeah, and, and I I didn't realize how stressful the traveling was until I didn't do it anymore. Yeah. So I've been I've been really trying to encourage people for you know if it's possible for me to stay virtual then that's great. Um, I've had to turn some jobs down unfortunately that they wanted me to travel, but it's just like it's just too much. Either it's like in the summertime and I still got my kids at home, yeah, it's just yeah. too much to navigate. So it's you know it's hard to say no to jobs um, that that they want me to be there for, and that's really important to them. And and I totally understand and appreciate it. And most of those people were bef- my before COVID clients, yeah. right? So they understand the benefit of me being in person. It just adds a whole other like uh, element to their in-person event, especially if they don't have a virtual component to their event. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's been nice to kind of try to balance both of those things. And and I do have clients who ask me like, it's not always live. It's like take this blog post and turn it into a graphic, or yeah, yeah, you make a video for us and stuff. So there's some like studio work that I do as well with the same sort of skill set, but just applying it in a different way. So having some of those opportunities come up with COVID have been really really awesome too. Yeah. All right, uh, Ashton. So now we've moved on. I asked the same six questions to uh, each guest that I have uh, at the end of a podcast. So these are real quick and you just fire off uh, your answers right off the top of your head. Sounds great. All right. So um, outside of your family, because everybody likes to say family for this first question, uh, what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Oh, my goodness. Um... Or one of the most beautiful. Um, 
we have beautiful sunsets around here. I don't know. Maybe that feels like really cliche, but yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, I would say that. Uh, what's your favorite smell? Um, Lemon. Ooh, I love lemon too. What's your favorite <laughs> sandwich? BLT. Mm, uh, my wife loves BLTs and my daughter too. Uh, what's your favorite kind of drink? A London Fog. Ooh, describe a London Fog for me. It's an Earl Grey tea latte yeah. made with vanilla. Mm, so good. I'll have to try that. Yes. Um, uh, what kind of thing uh, makes you happy every single time it happens? I would say listening to the bagpipes. Oh, yeah, the bagpipes. We talked about that earlier before. Yeah, on our pre, pre, for, the, for the people listening, we talked about bagpipes on the pre-call. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I'm learning how to play the bagpipes. So, like, how could you not <laughs> smile when you listen to the bagpipes? Right. Um, if you could give, your, give advice to yourself when you were a kid, what would be the one little piece of advice you'd give? Uh to stay on theme, I would say like, you can be an artist, like yeah. it is possible. Like I, I wish I wouldn't have fallen into that trap of believing that I can be an artist. Yeah. So yeah. I would say like, just do it. Just be an artist. It's awesome. <laughs> you can totally do it. Yes, you sure can. Yeah. Um, and so the last question, uh, is just for sustainability for me. Uh, who do you think would be uh, a good person to have on this podcast, somebody that's doing something now that they still did quite a lot in their youth. Um, my friend Brian Berganza is a pretty cool, cool guy. Um, he's a he does lots of different things, but he he's a poet. Oh, and, I have not um, interviewed a poet yet. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy, and I, I that's that's a first one that comes to my head for something. About you know, in, in line right. with that question. Um, I'll certainly think about it though and see if there's, um, I find like, it's like, like I was, uh, talking to one guy and he's like, Oh, I was an artist and I went down that path, went to art school, but like he does marketing now and right. website design. So it's like people I find they take what they did or what they were passionate about and they just like tweak it to something that they, right can kind of make a bit of a living yes. at, you know what I mean? So yeah, you yeah, get yeah. to still design things, but in this way, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it's not quite the same, <laughs> yeah. you know, they've just taken like, oh, I like this thing, but like I could do this. So I'll do this. Um, but yeah, yeah I, so. I just interviewed a lady uh, for talking about sewing, but she mm -hmm. um, has in turn uh, created a cosplay and a burlesque uh, like production company. Oh, yeah. And so she makes a living organizing events at uh, different uh, conventions for cosplay and burlesque dancers. But she got there mm. through her costuming and making costumes right. um, growing up. Yeah. So she's the same way, just yeah. kinds of tweaks it. Very cool. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Ashton. If you want to uh, meet her in real life, uh, you can travel up to Nova Scotia and ask for the best doodler in town. Or you can go to her website, uh, Minds Eye Creative Consulting. Uh, you can look her up and, and find her services there. She's also got a YouTube channel that's got all kinds of great uh, videos on there to help you get started. And don't forget to check out her book as well, Beginner's Guide to Sketchnoting. And uh, I'm sure you'll be glad you uh, checked it out. 
Uh, it was a pleasure to talk with you and learn all about your work. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it was great. Uh, remember, folks, find out what makes you happy and do it. There's a lot of life out there to live. Take the time to enjoy it and have a good week. 